Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Your Time with James Sweetman. Thank you for tuning in. After two great guest interviews with the counsellor and psychotherapist Des Canning, and then last week with Roly Miller of Job Care, this week I'm back to flying solo. I can't believe that I've reached episode 117 and that this is the first time that I'm touching on a topic that is a large part of my business, and that's interview skills coaching. I was inspired to do it now after the chat with Roly last week, where he spoke about the terrific service that he and his colleagues provide in job care. If you didn't listen to that episode, be sure to check it out. Job Care are a charity organisation that I've done some work with over many years now. And they assist people who are in career transition or who find themselves unemployed, offering a wide range of services, all under the the broad ethos that they have of working matters, which is something that, that, that really speaks to me as well. So obviously this week, the topic being interview skills coaching, it's timely if you have an interview coming up, you know, for a job, for your dream job, for a course. But as I say to my clients, being offered the job is something outside of your control. Um, And what's within your control is how we show up, you know, your intention, the level of preparation you do. So even if you don't have an interview, you might find that what I'm delving into this week is useful in so many different scenarios, you know, from sales, from promoting your own business, you know, even honing your own communication and influencing skills. What's interesting about my interview skills, coaching, practice, it's not something that I ever set out purposely to do. So when I set up my business the guts of 20 years ago now, you know, the focus was on career fulfillment coaching or general life coaching. But about 15 years ago, I began to work with some clients who were preparing for jobs. And this came about through work I was doing with, say, communication skills and organisations, confidence, uh, yes, the career fulfilment piece as well. And it was sort of a no-brainer when it came when it came together. And now it's something that is probably, I'd say, on a one-to-one coaching basis, I'd say interview skills is at least 60, if not 70% of the work that I do with clients, something that grew organically and I have different products and that associated with it now. But I've often said as well with interview skills coaching, being offered the job is like the byproduct for so many people I work with. You know, they come to me because they haven't done an interview in a while. They're feeling a little bit nervous or anxious or they've, you know, they view interviews as as torture, (laughs) as a necessary evil. Um, Many people just want to give it their best shot. And, And as I often say, you know, with interviews, um, it, it, it amplifies or it magnifies however we're feeling. So if we're a little bit nervous or anxious, we're, we're, we're feeling more of that because we're in a situation that's important to us. And we don't do interviews every day of the week. They're outside of comfort zone. We're emotionally invested. Um, and dealing with the emotional side of it is something that I, I cover with really all clients um, based on my thinking that, you know, they're the experts on, on themselves. They're the experts in their industry. And sometimes what I'm doing is liberating them so they can just show up as the best of themselves. And that's something that has resonated with clients. And whilst I don't keep accurate statistics here, and sometimes I don't know the ripple effects of some of the coaching sessions I have, I do often hear back from clients who are successful in in getting the, the role. 
uh, which is great. And um, but I often say the the people who come to work with me tend to be people who want to to give the interview their best shot anyway. They're willing to invest in their own preparation, and of course that uh, that shines through as well. So what's ahead this week? Um, I'm going to look at what our interview is really about because we have so many different common misconceptions around them and how we get in our own way. And then I'll also look at some of the, the questions that you probably should be able to answer going into an interview. For me, when I'm working with clients in this area, what we're trying to do is to reduce the probability of having to think about something for the very first time at interview. So, you know, the way if you're putting an application form together or a CV together, you know, you can edit it until you get it to a point where you're happy with it. Whereas an interview, of course, is verbal communication and it only you only have the opportunity for it to come out of your mouth once. So you're looking for it to be as polished as possible. But it's certainly not about reciting answers, learning things off by heart. It's not like learning an English poem and just sort of plugging it in and, and mouthing it at an interview. That's not what it's about. But we will, I will share some of the common questions that come up uh, and areas that are at least worth considering in advance. And then today, most interviews, certainly role job interviews, are competency based. And for many people, that's a confusing word or term. So we're going to look at what that's about and a few tips on how to approach dealing with competencies. I'm not really going to delve into today in any detail the, the topic of interview nerves. It's probably something that merits a different um, podcast episode all by itself. Um, a lot of the, the stuff that I've done in the past under the umbrella heading of confidence, even previous uh, episodes um, on confidence on the podcast would be of help here. And there's also more little videos that sit on my website and YouTube channel as well, dealing with uh, nervousness at interview. And of course, there's also the product on confidence, the masterclass that I did as well, which you can find out more about on the uh, on the website, jamesweetman.com. So what are interviews? And whilst I don't necessarily share definitions with clients that I work with here, so often we have misconceptions or ideas around interviews that really just don't serve us. For a lot of people, they associate interview with interrogation. You know, it makes you think of, I don't know, hot coals and thumb screws and, uh, you know, rapid fire questions and having to give the right response. But there's different definitions of interview. For me, particularly when, when I'm working with clients, I'll often say to them, you know, how many business meetings? have you attended and most of them will say hundreds if not thousands and and I say well that's what an interview is an interview is a business meeting where you're going to prepare for it you're going to listen you're going to respond you might even have some questions yourself if you get really clever with another definition of interview it's not like interview in a police station or even a business meeting you can view it a little bit maybe like a politician being interviewed on prime time or a current affairs program where they're using it as an opportunity to push their own agenda or to or to answer the question with a little bit of spin on it. Um, but if we get down to basics, you know, an interview is really a way for an employer or it might be a course provider to determine your suitability for the position. And behind all interview questions is a request to find out more about you. And sometimes we can forget that. And you know, if we want the interviewers to know your strengths, you know, to know your suitability for the role, it makes sense that you know your suitability for the role. If you want the interviewers to believe in you, well, we know where this one's going. You, you have to believe in you. 
all interview questions, perhaps apart from the odd uh, technical type question, but the vast majority of interview questions are all based on your experience and your opinion and who knows your experiences or your opinions better than you do. Um, every question that an interviewer asks is about gathering information so that they can make an informed decision. And we obviously want that decision to be positive and leaning in your favour. Um, if I think of the driving questions, now these are questions that are never purposely asked at interview, but they drive all the other questions from the interviewer's perspective. It's like, do you have the relevant competencies, skill set, experience, qualifications and judgment to be effective in the role? You know, and that's what the interviewers are trying to determine. That's the main driving question that they're looking to gather information so that they can answer either positively or negatively. Um, they'd also be curious about, is your personality compatible with the company culture? You know, are you someone who can just blend in? This brings us into the territory of it's not just what you say at interview, but it's how you say it and it's almost who you are. For me here as well, this is also the likability factor. You know, if you're being interviewed by someone and you're going to be part of their team, they have to sort of like you. They have to sort of want to spend time with you. And the challenge there can be if we're a little bit nervous or anxious, you know, our face can be quite serious. And from a body language perspective, the interviewers may not know if you're, you know, just serious and concentrating or if you're nervous or, you know, are you just, you know, dour and, 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 and not very pleasant. And um, whilst I always think good interviewers will give candidates every chance to be themselves at the room or in the room at the interview, um, it's useful to pay some attention to, to how you want to show up and not just what it is that you want to say. So if you think about a lot of the prep that people do, there's so much detail that goes into possible answers to possible questions. And maybe we don't give sufficient uh, attention to how you want to come across. Uh, the other question that can drive all the other questions at interview, and, and it's not always relevant, um, but I'll share it here because it's relevant in at least some situations and interviewers are trying to answer the question, you know, do you have the potential to add value in the organisation long term? So they're not just focused on the particular role and the, the probability of your effectiveness in the current role. They're looking to see, are you someone who can add value to the organisation in a broader context over a longer period of time. It is rare that I'll work with an interview skills coaching client who isn't running some sort of limiting belief or, or common misconception around interviews. And whilst it's not about, you know, sharing these necessarily with clients, it is about getting the foundation in place so we're not getting in our own way and we're tidying up our thinking. And part of that is what I would label banishing some of the misconceptions or, or simply upgrading our thinking around interviews. You know, a common misconception is people will think interviewers are trying to trip me up. And I often think, well, unless you're you're telling them porky pies and maybe they're trying to give you enough rope to get yourself into trouble. Uh, interviewers are really only trying to find out more about you. That's the that's the purpose of the interview, after all. And um, perhaps the most common misconception is people will think that I have to tell the interviewers what I think it is that they need to hear. I have to tell them what I think it is they need to hear. I would hazard a guess that many of you listening listening in will go, well, James, that is true. You know, but if we think about it, really what we're doing here is, is guesswork. 
you know, we're not going to be naive with it. We can be aware of the role description. We can put ourselves in the interviewer's shoes. We can think about how I can package some of the information I want to share with them. But we cannot go inside their heads and do their thinking for them. So in reality, all we can do is answer the questions as best we can. Another misconception following on from that is that there are right and wrong answers at interview. Now, I think unless you're being given a spelling test or maybe being asked a technical question, there are no rights and wrongs because everything is about your experiences and opinions. So all you can do is share them as best you can. Part of preparation, of course, is, is getting clear as to why our experience is a plus for us. You know, the way so many role descriptions mention three years experience, five years experience, 10 years experience. It's always useful to consider why is your unique experience an advantage for the role? And one of the things experience tends to bring us is a degree of diversity, but also the ability to predict um, potential risks, to manage risks, to, you know, to, to see the early warning signals of problems. Um, and it's nice to voice that at interview, because I often say, if you don't say it at interview, it probably doesn't exist. So there are no rights and wrong answers. There's only your opinion. And you're looking to maybe clarify or hone your, your opinion and your experiences uh, by way of preparation. Another common misconception is around, you know, the thinking that everyone hates interviews. And really, if we're thinking that, you know, what we have is a, is a habit of thinking about interviews that is self-defeating. You know, so if you're believing that, you know, I hate an interview, very difficult for you to show up and give it your best shot. So we need to, to, to alter or to upgrade our thinking around interviews. And that piece when I was saying earlier around, you know, uh, interviews are like business meetings, that sort of thinking can just help us move forward and reframe how we're viewing the process. Another very common misconception, and, and I don't even like the term of this, is that I have to sell myself at interview. You know, that brings us into a place where we don't feel natural. The concept of selling ourselves is not one that sits easily with many people. And, and even the language around it, uh, I think, doesn't help. Whereas in reality, what we're doing here, as I always say, is to find a new balance between honesty and modesty, whilst at the same time showing that I actually want the job. Um, you know, in real life, we're not talking about our strengths or our achievements, whereas in interview, that's what we do have to speak about. And it's not about selling ourselves. It's really just speaking more honestly about uh, achievements and strengths. But as I say, that's outside of comfort zone. In the real world, let other people speak about that on our behalf. But at interview, whilst it's not selling ourselves, perhaps it is promoting ourselves in an honest uh, way. And for a lot of us, that will be outside of comfort zone. When I'm working with the client in this area, I'll often draw a little seesaw on a, on a flip chart or shared with them on a slide. And on one side of the seesaw, we have two categories of things that we want to use to positively influence the interviewers. Uh, they will fall under the broad headings of emotional reasons and logical reasons. Then on the other side of the seesaw, there are the reasons why they may not hire you. And a lot of them will be outside of our control, but we're looking to minimise those as much as possible. Obviously, the logical reasons will bring us into the territory of knowing your strengths, you know, what you're bringing to the job, why you would consider yourself to be a strong candidate, how you would see yourself adding value in the role. They're all polite ways around asking, you know, why should they offer you the role? Rarely will it be asked as bluntly as that, but there's so many alternative ways of doing it. Um, all based around your strengths. 
So for me, when I'm working with a client in this area, we always start with identifying, with brainstorming their strengths, what they're bringing to the table. Experience will tend to be in there. Maybe there's a few skills as well, like project management skills or leadership skills, uh, communication skills, organizational skills. And it's also nice to include some adjectives around how you're how you work with people or your style of leadership. One of the strengths that we can also mention is, you know, your commitment to the industry or how much you enjoy the nature of the work. Sometimes we forget that, you know, passion for a role is also a strength. And as I always say, too, if, you know, the interviewers have to know your strengths by the end of the interview process, and how will they know your strengths if you've not considered them and, and shared them with them? And again, at the end of the day, it is about um, uh, owning your opinion. So it is your opinion on your strengths. A little tip here when we're speaking about our strengths, because this is an area that, you know, is not comfortable for most of us. We can speak about the weaknesses, usually no problem. Um, but I like to, to coach clients on using the conditional tense here, which somehow makes it easier to voice the strengths. So rather than going, oh, I'm very experienced with or, you know, I, I have strong organizational skills, which after a while can feel a little bit clunky. You know, if we use the conditional tense, which would be, well, I'd like to think my organizational skills stand to me. Or, you know, other people have said that I'm a very good listener. Um, you know, taking it outside of ourselves somehow makes it easier to say it. And the interviewers won't remember the, the grammar that you're using around it. They're only interested in the actual term or the, the scale or the specific strength that you're sharing with them. Of course, if we're looking at strengths, I must share with you just a little tip on dealing with the weaknesses question. In some ways, that's an old style question at an interview, the weaknesses question. But it's the traditional one that brings us into what I would phrase as the shadow side. So most of interviews are aimed at putting your best foot forward. But sometimes you can be asked about errors, decisions, a time when a competency lets you down or the most traditional way of doing it is a weakness. And when it's genuinely asked, the what interviewers here are really interested in is how self-aware you are. Are you someone who is self-aware and can self-assess and who can work on your own personal development? So a little phrase that's always useful to start the response to the weaknesses question is, you know, well, an area I've worked on is. So you've brought it into the past tense and you're then able to demonstrate how you've turned a weakness around. Um, the other category of reasons that sit within the influencing scales, as I phrase it, are the emotional reasons. And this is around how do I intend to show up? It brings me into the territory of personal branding, which is a topic that I, I speak on separately. But if, if we think about the process of an interview, whether it's in person or online, and when the interview is over, the interviewers will look to each other and they'll say, what did you think of him? What did you think of her? It's, it's the words that they then use to describe their experience of interacting with you are the emotional reasons, uh, the emotional factors that sit on the influencing scales. So here, that pure personal branding question of what words would I like the interviewers to use to describe their experience of interviewing me is very relevant. And it's one that most candidates rarely consider. And this is something, of course, that's equally applicable if we're delivering a presentation, if we're going to a sales meeting, if we're meeting a possible client. You know, what words do I want them to use to describe their experience of interacting with me? So it might be friendly, professional, you know, enthusiastic. 
if I've identified them beforehand, that's giving you your strategy for showing up because you can you can lean into those qualities irrespective of the mood of the interviewers or the level of prep of the interviewers, which are factors outside of your control. So if I'm thinking about coming across as friendly, well, how do I do that? Well, I make sure that there's a pleasant expression on my face or there's a brightness to my eyes or there's a little bit of hand movement. But what I find in this area, what we're really doing is setting our intention more purposefully. So if we think about a lot of people going to interview, their intention is unconscious and negative. So it's something like, I hope to God they don't ask me any horrible questions. How can I get out of here in one piece? You know, they're not the, the, the noblest intentions to help you achieve what you want to achieve. You know, if we change it to, well, how can I interact with them in a way that's enthusiastic, friendly and professional? You know, now I'm pointing in the direction that I want to go. On the other side of the influencing scales is the reasons that you may not be offered the role. And some of these would be outside of your control, outside of your awareness. We don't have control over the caliber of other candidates. As I always say in this area, it's about staying in your own lane and controlling what you can control. Sometimes there is politics at play that we're not aware of. All we can do is show up and give the interview our best shot. But a question that can shed a light on an area that perhaps we're not as comfortable with is pondering what question would I hate to be asked or what issue would I hate for the interviewers to bring up. This can shine a light on an area where we maybe don't feel as comfortable or where there's a gap on our CV or, you know, where maybe we're, we're lacking in a skill or a competency that they're looking for. And if we can identify it up front, maybe we can look to minimise that as much as possible. And difficult for me to give you any specific examples on that. Um, but it's one that if I'm working with the client, we'll often come up with wording or phrasing or at least an intention that allows them to respond to that question in a way that that is genuine, but that also perhaps emphasizes strengths or skills that are elsewhere. Um, but that question is still worth pondering. You know, what question or issues would I hate them to bring up? And the topic may never come up at the interview, but at least I'll feel a little bit more in control if it does. As I said earlier, what we really try to do with interview skills coaching is reduce the probability of you having to think about something for the very first time at interview. Now, it's not possible to achieve 100% on that, but there are common questions that are asked and they're all based in common sense when we think about them. So in addition to knowing your strengths and maybe being able to make the case for yourself for being offered the job, other probable questions or areas for questions are, you know, why have you applied for the role, which is the motivation question. Sometimes we're moving away from a job that we don't particularly like. But as I always say to candidates, it's about emphasising the, the pull factors. Why does the particular role appeal to you? But the interviewers are interested in your motivation, hence the, 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 the motivation behind that question. Um, and rather than going generic with it, it's also nice to emphasise here what you know about the company and maybe how you can align your strengths to uh, their business. Um, typically at the, you know, with more junior interviews, a question that's often asked is, well, what do you know about the organisation? And for me in this area, being familiar with the website is, is, is a threshold. And it's not about giving, you know, historical, chronological order, you know, history lesson to the interviewers. The, the reason this question is asked is it gives the interviewers an insight into the level of prep you've done. And looking at the website is threshold. You know, can you set up a Google Alerts so you get more relevant information? 
um, keep up with current affairs, do your own research on it, uh, look at the social media connections, you know, is that on LinkedIn? Who are some of the key people working there? What are some of their projects? It, it just gives you more um, scope for conversation. What I also like to do nowadays with clients is most, most companies have value statements or mission statements. And it's not that you need to recite them, but it's nice to be able to refer to those as well, because they're usually pieces of work that the organization has put a lot of time and expense into. What you tend to find for more senior levels, rather than being asked what you know about the organization, which would be very basic at a senior level interview, the question is more likely to be around what you think are some of the challenges facing uh, you and the role or facing the organization or facing the industry. So the challenges question can come at, come at us in a few different ways. But again, if you're able to identify challenges, speak about them, how you've dealt with some of them before, what your possible uh, lines of solution might be with some of them. Again, it gives the interviewers a rounded sense of here's someone who knows what they're talking about. They've done their homework. There's someone who is clued in. Um, again, at more junior levels, you're likely to get a question around, you know, where do you see yourself in five years time? This is the ambition question. And it's it's one that often is asked because interviewers want to know, again, what your motivation is. Are you just someone who's interested in a job or are you interested in a career? And, you know, if it is a, about a career, you know, you have some sense of the direction you want to go in. And this one, you know, we can never be specific with the answer to this. It might be your level of commitment to an industry or the ability to continue to learn and grow and have new opportunities and opportunities for, for development. But it is useful to have considered it beforehand as well, because, again, it gives the interviewer that, that broader insight into you. The last piece I want to discuss today is about competencies. Now, all interviews today really are competency-based interviews, and the term can really freak people out. You know, but what are competencies? As I see it, competencies are those skills, strengths that the organisation has identified that they need a successful candidate to be proficient in or effective at to be successful in the role. Um, and that's the, that's the thinking behind competencies. But so often, you know, things are cut and paste onto role descriptions and maybe there hasn't been sufficient thought given to specific competencies or there's the one size fits all in organisations. But for me, the clue to identifying competencies, if they're not specifically listed on the role description, they tend to be the words that precede the word skills. So you have things like organisational skills or interpersonal skills, which, by the way, is a phrase you only ever see on a role description. When do we use interpersonal skills, anything outside of CVs or job descriptions? But for me, if you're looking for a synonym for inter interpersonal skills, it's really relationship management. It might be customer service. Uh, other competencies could be initiative or leadership skills or being a team player. Uh, they're some of the common ones. Um, if competencies are not you know, listed on the role description, as well as looking out for the words that precede skills, if the same terms are used a few times, um, like leadership or people management, that tends to be um, a signal to, to what competencies could be assessed at interview as well. Although really nowadays in role descriptions, if it is a competency-based interviews, ideally the competency should be listed. Um, now, how are competencies assessed? Well, typically, there's three ways that they're assessed. By far, the most common is uh, through example. 
the thinking being that the best indication of future performance is past performance. So it's tell me about a time when or give me an example of how you demonstrated good customer service. So as I always say to candidates, what you're looking to do is have at least one example lined up that helps you illustrate a competency. But here's the key difference with that. This is a, this is a critical bit. So many people go to interview and when they're asked for an example, they simply tell a story and then they often get that common feedback. You know, your interview or your, your example wasn't strong enough. What doesn't make it strong enough is the fact that your skills and judgment applied in that example were, was not emphasised. Now, I'm sure you've come across the the STAR approach to illustrating competencies. It's very common. There's a lot of information out there on the web. It gives us handrails for, for giving an example without going off on tangents. So strictly speaking, the STAR approach is the S is for situation, the T for task, the A for action, which is the most important part, and then result, you know, what the outcome was. Or sometimes the R can also be reflection or maybe even ripple effects of what it is that you did. But when I'm coaching people in this area, sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between situation and task. And, and that's really only the introduction anyway. So I often say to them, use the S and T as setting the scene and maybe emphasizing within that the challenge that you were facing. And then when you're sharing what it is that you did, you know, the action part of it, um, imagine that you're teaching someone else to replicate what it is you did back then, because that will get you to focus on the specific steps that you took. And, and the key bit there is that, you know, the interviewers are not particularly interested in the story. They're more interested in seeing how you demonstrated skills that they believe are, are required for the job that you're interviewing for. So view the, the story, the example, as really a, a vehicle to a destination. What's the destination? Which is, you know, well, what is it that I want the interviewers to know about me after I share this example? So we're starting with the end in mind, as it were. The other piece, the other ways that competencies can be assessed are hypothetical scenarios. So what would you do if? And whilst that brings us into the, you know, future-based thinking, if the example or if the hypothetical scenario that's given to you is similar to something that you've done in the past, you can respond to it in a way that is very factual. It's like, well, well, I have actually experienced that and this is how I dealt with it. Again, that just demonstrates more certainty. And the third way competencies can be assessed is if the interviewer just asks you about the competency itself. So it might be something like what makes for a good communicator or, you know, what makes for a good leader or what's what's at the heart of, of um, you know, being a good team player. So you're actually speaking about the competency rather than just giving an example to it. And as I often say to clients I work with in this area, you know, do a little bit of a brainstorm on the competency yourself first. So get familiar with the language around it. So what does, for example, organization skills mean to me? Because whatever you identify there should be key parts of your your action within the star approach to your example. Um, but it should also be, it, it would also bring language to the forefront of your mind. So if you get anything in that area, maybe if you've considered words like planning or prioritizing or uh, um, uh, dependencies or time scales, you know, you've got some language that you can work with because you've considered it beforehand. So I realise that I've covered quite an amount on interviews in this little podcast episode this week. 
Uh, there's a lot more information that sits on my website, jamesweetman.com. If you have an interview coming up or if you know someone who has an interview coming up, there's lots of resources that sit on my website. Um, and you can either download it from there or if you wish, you can send me a little email if you're listening to this and I can send you through a link to my free ebook on interview skills prep. So as an ebook, you can probably read it cover to cover in about two hours and I'll send you the link to it. Um, which is available through the UK publisher's website, BookBoon, that's B-O-O-K-B-O-O-N uh, dot com. And it's it's free when it's part of their 30-day their uh, initial trial. There's also some resources, as I say, on my website, including a tip sheet for online interviews, which so many interviews are nowadays. So I hope what I've shared this week is of benefit to you, particularly if you've an interview coming up or, you know, you might have an interview coming up. It's one to save and to come back and listen to the episode again. Um, or if you know anyone who is facing an interview, feel free to pass the, the this episode on to them. They might find it beneficial. But then, as I said at the outset, a lot of what I've covered today, we can change the context of it. So it may not be a traditional interview, but if you think about all sales meetings at one level, they're all interviews or if you're speaking to a potential client to some extent that's an interview and maybe some of the pieces I've shared around uh, preparation and communication skills and even that influencing scales um, will be of benefit to you in that wider context so as ever thank you for tuning in I'm James Sweetman I so appreciate your 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 loyal listening every week um, and until next time